Section 19 of Soldier's Pay by William Faulkner. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Chapter 5, Sections 10 to 12. 10. This was the day of the boy, male and female. Look at them, Joe, Mrs. Powers said, sitting there like lost souls waiting to get into hell. The car had stopped broadside on where they could get a good view. They don't look like they're sitting to me, Gilligan answered with enthusiasm. Look at them, too. Look where he's got his hand. This is what they call polite dancing, is it? I never learned it. I would have got throwed out of any place I ever danced doing that. But I had a unfortunate youth. I never danced with nice people. Through two heavy, identical magnolias, the lighted porch was like a stage. The dancers moved, locked, two and two, taking the changing light, eluding it. Shake it and break it, don't let it fall. Along the balustrade they sat like birds, effacingly belligerent. Wallflowers. No, no, I mean those ex-soldiers there, look at them, sitting there, talking their army French, kidding themselves. Why did they come, Joe? Same reason we come, like a show, ain't it? But how do you know they're soldiers? Look at them two there, he crowed suddenly with childish intentness. The couple slid and poised, losing the syncopation deliberately, seeking and finding it, losing it again. Her limbs eluded his, anticipated his, the breath of a touch and an escape, which he too was quick to assist. Touch and retreat, no satiety. Wow, if that tune ever stops. Don't be silly, Joe, I know them. I've seen their sort at the canteen too often, acting just that way. Poor, kind, dull boys going to war, and because they were going, girls were nice to them. But now there's no war for them to go to, and look how the girls treat them. What was he saying? asked Gilligan with detachment. He tore his eyes from the couple. Wow, if the loot could see this, it'd sure wake him up, wouldn't it? Mahone sat quietly beside Mrs. Powers. Gilligan, turning in his seat beside the negro driver, looked at his quiet shape. The syncopation pulsed around them, a reiteration of wind and strings, warm and troubling as water. She leaned toward him. Like it, Donald? He stirred, raising his hand to his glasses. Mon Lute, said Gilligan quickly. Don't knock him off. We might lose him here. Mahone lowered his hand obediently. Music's pretty good, ain't it? Pretty good, Joe, he agreed. Gilligan looked at the dancers again. Pretty good, ain't the half of it. Look at em. Oh, oh, I wonder where my easy rider's gone. He turned suddenly to Mrs. Powers. You know who that is there? Mrs. Powers saw Dr. Gary without his glass of water. She saw a feather fan like a willow at evening and the luminous plane of a bare arm upon conventional black, she saw two heads as one head, cheek to cheek, expressionless, and fixed as a ritual above a slow synchronization of limbs. That's Saunders' lady, Gilligan explained. She watched the girl's graceful motion, a restrained, delicate abandon, and Gilligan continued, I think I'll go closer, with them birds sitting there. I gotta see this. They greeted him with the effusiveness of people who are brought together by invitation, yet are not quite certain of themselves and of the spirit of the invitation. 
in this case the eternal country boys of one national mental state, lost in the comparative metropolitan atmosphere of one diametrically opposed to it, to feel provincial, finding that a certain conventional state of behavior has become inexplicably obsolete overnight. Most of them Gilligan knew by name, and he sat also upon the balustrade. He was offered and accepted a cigarette, and he perched among them while they talked loudly, drowning the intimation of dancers they could not emulate, of girls who once waited upon their favors and who now ignored them, the hangover of warfare in a society tired of warfare. Puzzled and lost, poor devils. Once society drank war, brought them into manhood with a cultivated taste for war. But now, society seemed to have found something else for a beverage, while they were not yet accustomed to two and seventy-five per cent. Look at those kids that grew up while we were away, one advised him with passion. The girls don't like it, but what can they do? We can't do them dances. It ain't just going through the motions. You could learn that, I guess. It's, it's, he sought vainly for words. He gave it up and continued. Funny, too. I learned things from French women. Say, the girls don't like it, do they? They haven't changed that much, you know. Nah, they don't like it, Gilligan answered. Look at them, too. Sure, they don't like it. These are nice girls. They will be the mothers of the next generation. Of course they don't like it. Somebody sure does, though, Gilligan replied. Dr. Gary passed, dancing smoothly, efficiently, quite decorous, yet enjoying himself. His partner was young and briefly skirted. You could see that she danced with him because it was a thing to dance with Dr. Gary. No one knew exactly why. She was conscious of physical freedom, of her young, uncorseted body, flat as a boy's and like a boy's, pleasuring in freedom and motion, as though freedom and motion were water, pleasuring her flesh to the intermittent teasing of silk. Her glance followed over Dr. Gary's shoulder. It was masculine, because it was drably conventional in black. An arrested seeking for a lost rhythm, lost deliberately. Dr. Gary's partner, skillfully following him, watched the other couple, ignoring the girl. If there's justice in heaven, I'll get him next time. Dancing with you, said Dr. Gary, is like a poem by a minor poet named Swinburne. Dr. Gary preferred Milton. He had the passages all designated, like a play. Swinburne? She smiled vaguely, watching the other couple, not losing the rhythm, not cracking her paint. Her face was smooth, as skillfully done and as artificial as an orchid. Did he write poems, too? Is he thinking of Ella Wilcox or Irene Castle? He's a grand dancer. Takes a good dancer to get along with Cecily. I think Kipling is awfully cute, don't you? What a funny dress Cicely has on. Gilligan, watching the dancers, said, What? The other repeated defensively. He was in a French base. Sure he was. Two or three years. Good fellow, he added, even if he can dance like they do. Light motion, sound, no solidity. A turgid compulsion, passionate and evanescent. And outside... Spring, like a young girl reft of happiness and incapable of sorrow. Throw it on the wall, oh, 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 oh. Won't never forget his expression when he said, Jack, mine's got sif. Hatter, 
shake it and break it, shake it. First night in Paris, then the other one. Don't let it fall. With a gun, twenty dollars in gold pinned to my... I wonder where my easy, easy riders... Sure, Gilligan agreed. He wondered where Madden, whom he liked, was, and not expecting an answer, he was informed. There she is again, her feather fan like a willow at evening, her arm crossing conventional black, a slim, warm plane. Jove would have said, how virginal her legs are. But Gilligan, not being Jove, said, for Christ's sake, wishing Donald Mahone were her partner, or failing this, being glad he couldn't see her. The music stopped. The dancers stood waiting its renewal. The hostess, talking interminably, appeared, and as before a plague, people scattered before her passage. Gilligan caught, submerged beneath waves of talk, suffered her, watching couples pass from the veranda onto the vague lawn. How soft their bodies look, their little backs and hips, he thought, saying, yes, ma'am, or no, ma'am. At last he walked away and left her talking, and in a swing he saw a Madden and a stranger. This is Mr. Doe, Madden said, greeting him. How's Mahone? Gilligan shook hands. He's outside there now with Mrs. Powers. He is. Mahone was with the British, he explained to his companion. Aviation. He betrayed a faint interest. R.A.F.? I guess so, Gilligan replied. We brought him over to hear the music a while. Brought him? Got his in the head. Don't remember much, Madden informed the other. Did you say Mrs. Powers is with him? He asked Gilligan. Yeah, she came. Why not come out and speak to her? Madden looked at his companion. Doe shifted his cork leg. I think not, he said. I'll wait for you. Madden rose. Mon, Gilligan said. She'll be glad to see you. She ain't a bad sort, as Madden can tell you. No, I'll wait here, thanks. But come back, will you? Madden read his unexpressed thought. She's dancing now. I'll be back before then. They left him lighting a cigarette. The negro cornetist had restrained his men and removed them temporarily, and the porch was deserted, save for the group sitting on the balustrade. These, the hostess with the renaissance of optimism, had run to earth and captured. Gilligan and Madden crossed grass, leaving lights behind. Mrs. Powers, you remember Mr. Madden, Gilligan informed her formally. He was not big, yet there was something big and calm about him, a sense of incompetent inertia after activity. Madden saw her colourless face against the canopied darkness of her car, her black eyes and her mouth like a scar. Beside her, Mahone sat motionless and remote, waiting for music which he could not tell whether or not he heard. "'Good evening, ma'am,' Madden said, enveloping her firm, slow hand, remembering a figure sharp against the sky, screaming, "'You got us killed!' and firing, point-blank, into another man's face, red and bitter, in a relief of transient flame against... A sorrowful dawn. 11. Jones, challenging the competition, danced with her twice, once for six feet and then for nine feet. She could not dance with the muscular facility of some of the other girls. Perhaps this was the reason she was in such demand. Dancing with the more skilled ones was too much like dancing with agile boys. Anyway, men all seemed to want to dance with her, to touch her. 
Jones, foiled the second time, became yellowly speculative, tactical, then, watching his chance, he cut in upon glued hair and a dinner coat. The man raised his empty, ironed face fretfully, but Jones skillfully cut her out of the prancing herd and into the angle made by the corner of the balustrade. Here only his back could be assailed. He knew his advantage was but temporary, so he spoke quickly. "'Friend of yours here tonight?' Her feather fan drew softly across his neck. He sought her knee with his, and she eluded him with efficiency, trying vainly to manoeuvre from the corner. One desiring to cut in importuned him from behind, and she said with exasperation, "'Do you dance, Mr. Jones? They have a good floor here. Suppose we try it.' "'Your friend Donald dances. Ask him for one.' he told her, feeling her shallow breast and her nervous efforts to evade him. One importuned him from behind, and she raised her pretty, unpretty face. Her hair was soft and fine, carelessly caught about her head, and her painted mouth was purple in this light. Here? Dancing? With his two Niobes. I saw the female one, and I imagine the male one is here also. Niobes? That, Mrs. Powers, or whatever her name is. She held her head back so as to see his face. You're lying. No, I'm not. They are here. She stared at him. He could feel her fan drooping from her arched wrist on his cheek softly, and one importuned him from behind. Sitting out now in a car, he added. With Mrs. Powers? Watch your stepsister, or she'll have him. She slipped from him suddenly. If you aren't going to dance... One importuning him from behind repeated tirelessly, May I cut in? And she evaded Jones's arm. Oh, Lee, Mr. Jones doesn't dance. My of this dance? mumbled the conventional one conventionally, already encircling her. Jones stood baggy and yellow, yellowly watching her fan upon her partner's coat like a hushed splash of water her arching neck and her arm crossing a black shoulder with luminous warmth, the indicated silvery evasion of her limbs, anticipating her partner's like a broken dream. Got a match? Jones, pausing, asked abruptly of a man sitting alone in a swing. He lit his pipe and lounged in slow and fat belligerence among a group sitting upon the balustrade near the steps, like birds. The negro cornetist spurred his men to fiercer endeavour. The brass died, and a plaintive minor of hushed voices carried the rhythm until the brass, suspiring again, took it. Jones sucked his pipe, thrusting his hands in his jacket, and a slim arm slid suddenly beneath his tweed sleeve. "'Wait for me, Lee,' Jones, looking round, remarked her fan and the glass-like fragility of her dress. "'I must see some people in a car.' The boy's iron face was a fretted fatuity above his immaculate linen. Let me go with you. No, no, you wait for me. Mr. Jones will take me. You don't even know them. You dance until I come back, promise? But say, her hand flashed slimly, staying him. No, no, please, promise? He promised and stood to stare at them as they descended the steps, passing between the two magnolias and so on into the darkness, where her dress became a substanceless articulation beside the man's shapeless tweed. After a while he turned and walked down the emptying veranda. Where'd that slob come from, he wondered. 
seeing two girls watching him in poised invitation. Do they let anybody in here? As he hesitated, the hostess appeared talking interminably, but he circumvented her with skill of long practice. Beyond a shadowed corner in the half-darkness of a swing, a man sat alone. He approached, and before he could make his request, the man extended a box of matches. Thanks, he murmured, without surprise, lighting a cigarette. He strolled away, and the owner of the matches fingered the small, crisp wood box, wondering mildly who the third one would be. Twelve. No, no, let's go to them first. She arrested their progress, and after a time succeeded in releasing her arm. As they stood, a couple passed them, and the girl, leaning to her, whispered, See right through you. Stay out of the light. They passed on, and she looked after them, watching the other girl. Cat! What a queer dress she's wearing! Funny ankles! Funny! Poor girl! But she had little time for impersonal speculation, being attached temporarily to Jones. No, no, she repeated, twisting the hand he held, drawing him in the direction of the car. Mrs. Powers, looking over Madden's head, saw them. Jones released the fragile writhing of her fingers, and she sped delicately over the damp grass. He followed fatly, and she put her hands on the door of the car, her narrow, nervous hands, between which the green fan splashed graciously. "'Oh, how do you do? I didn't have any idea you were coming. If I had, I would have arranged partners for you. I'm sure you dance awfully well. But then, as soon as the men see you here, you won't lack for partners, I know.' What does she want with him now, watching me? Doesn't trust me with him. Awfully nice dance. And Mr. Gilligan. What's she want to come worrying him now for? She bothers damn little while he's sitting at home there. Of course, one simply does not see Donald without Mr. Gilligan. It must be nice to have Mr. Gilligan fond of you like that. Don't you think so, Mrs. Powers? Her braced, straightening arms supported a pliant, slow backward curve from her hips. And Rufus, yes, she is pretty and silly, but, but pretty. You deserted me for another woman. Don't say you didn't. I tried to make him dance with me, Mrs. Powers, but he wouldn't do it. Perhaps you had better luck. A dropped knee molded the glass-like fragility of her silver dress. Ah, you needn't say anything. We know how attractive Mrs. Powers is, don't we, Mr. Jones? See, you're behind, the shape of it and your whole leg, when you stand like that, knows it too. Her eyes became hard, black. You told me they were dancing, she accused. He can't dance, you know, Mrs. Powers said. We brought him so he could hear the music. Mr. Jones told me you and he were dancing, and I believed him. I seemed to know so much less than other people about him. But of course he's sick. He does not remember his old friends, now that he's made new ones. Is she going to cry? It could be just like her, the fool, the little fool. I think you're not fair to him, but won't you get in and sit down? Mr. Madden, will you? Madden had already opened the door. No, no, if he likes the music, I'd only disturb him. He had much rather sit with Mrs. Powers, I know. Yes, she's going to make a scene. Please, just a moment. He hasn't seen you today, you know. She hesitated. Then Jones regarded the dividing soft curves of her thighs and the fleeting exposure of his stocking, and borrowed a match from Gilligan. The music had ceased, and through the two identical magnolias the porch was like an empty stage. 
The negro driver's head was round as a capped cannonball. Perhaps he slept. She mounted and sank into the dark seat beside Mahone, sitting still and resigned. Mrs. Powers suddenly spoke. "'Do you dance, Mr. Madden?' "'Yes, a little,' he admitted. She descended from the car and, turning, met Cecily's startled, shallow face. "'I'll leave you to visit with Donald while I have a dance or two with Mr. Madden, shall I?' She took Madden's arm. "'Don't you want to come in too, Joe?' "'I guess not,' Gilligan answered. "'Competition'll be too strong for me. I'll get you to learn me private sometime, so I can be a credit to you.' Cecily, in exasperation, saw the other woman stealing part of her audience. But here were still Jones and Gilligan. Jones climbed heavily into the vacated seat, uninvited. Cecily gave him a fierce glance and turned her back upon him, feeling his arm against her side. "'Donald, sweetheart,' she said, putting her arm about Mahone. From here she could not see the scar, so she drew his face to hers with her hand, laying her cheek against his. Feeling her touch, hearing voices, he stirred. "'It's Cecily, Donald,' she said sweetly. "'Cecily,' he parroted. "'Yes, put your arm round me like you used to, Donald, dear heart.' She moved nervously, but the length of Jones's arm remained against her closely, as though it were attached by suction, like an octopus's tentacle. Trying to avoid him, her clasp about Mahone tightened convulsively, and he raised his hand, touching her face, fumbling at his glasses. "'Easy there, Lute,' Gilligan warmed quickly, and he lowered his hand. Cecily kissed his cheek swiftly and sat up, releasing him. "'Oh, there goes the music again, and I have this dance.' She stood up in the car, looking about. One lounging immaculately, smoking, strolled past. "'Oh, Lee!' she called, in happy relief. "'Here I am.' She opened the door and sprang out as the conventional one approached. Jones descended fatly, baggily, and stood dragging his jacket across his thick, heavy hips, staring yellowly at Mr. Rivers. Her body poised again, turning, and she said to Gilligan, "'You aren't dancing tonight?' "'Not like that,' he replied. "'No, ma'am. Where I come from, you'd have to have a license to dance that way.' Her laugh was in three notes, and she was like a swept tree. Her eyes beneath lowered lids, her teeth between her purple lips, glittered briefly. "'I think that's awfully clever, and Mr. Jones doesn't dance either, so all I have left is Lee.' "'Lee?' Mr. Rivers stood waiting, and Jones said heavily, "'This is my dance.' "'I'm sorry, I promised Lee,' she answered swiftly. "'But you cut in, won't you?' Her hand was briefly on his sleeve, and Jones, contemplating Mr. Rivers, yellowly repeated, "'This is my dance.' Mr. Rivers looked at him, and then looked quickly away. "'Oh, beg pardon, your dance?' "'Lee,' she said sharply, reaching her hand in again. Mr. Rivers met Jones's stare once more. "'Beg pardon,' he muttered. "'I'll cut in.' He lounged onward. Cecily let her glance follow him. Then she shrugged and turned to Jones. Her neck, her arm, took faint light, warmly, smoothly. She took Jones's tweed sleeve. "'Say,' Gilligan murmured, watching their retreat, "'you can see right through her.' "'That's the war,' explained the negro driver, sleeping again immediately." End of section 19, read by Sandra, near Montreal, 2022.